It's November 18th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're going to kick off the show with a couple of news guests. David Bruce from the Global Virtual Studio is here in the studio to tell us about the upcoming GVS All Access event. Then, Colin Kobayashi will give us a preview of a new manufacturing accelerator called Startup Connector. Finally, after the break, we'll spend the rest of the hour exploring what it takes to be an entrepreneur with Gideon Marks and Peter Rowan. Do you have what it takes to launch a startup? What skills do you need and how can you develop them? We, of course, welcome your questions as well. You can get them answered by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. And first off, uh, we have David Bruce here in the studio. He's come all the way from the Big Island, Mm -hmm. and he's from the Global Virtual Studio. And, and of course, uh, there's an event coming up called All Access. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, we've talked about uh, GVS on a number of occasions, and it's kind of a cool idea of uh, sort of this creative space, a creative accelerator out on the Big Island. But now you have something happening here, and I want to hear more about that. Yeah, we're really excited. We're going to be opening a hub here in Honolulu. So November 20th, this GVS All Access is our first event. We're going to be doing a live collaboration between Kona and Honolulu through our new connectivity. Um, Really excited to be kicking off this uh, clear channel. So we're going to be doing a live demo. We're going to have, uh, we're in partnership with Creative Labs, Hawaii International Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Um, Starts on the 20th. Uh, at th- 2 o'clock. So the Global Virtual uh, Studio is a transmedia accelerator where you're basically kind of developing intellectual property, creative uh, franchises, uh, hopefully perhaps also sharing stories that can only be told in Hawaii or by people in Hawaii and um, investing in them and building them into businesses. But yes, we very recently had covered the fact that the GVS uh, Accelerator on the Big Island and uh, a node here in Honolulu has one of the fastest uh, broadband connections in existence because actually that's what's needed to be able to do remote editing work. So, you know, Hawaii is kind of known as a place to do film, but not so much the post-production. So tell me about this connection. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. Uh, Hawaii Growth Initiative is backing this, really leading out the charge in this broadband pilot program. Um, we're going to have a real-time connectivity where we can do big data transfer in a matter of minutes. Um, so it's going to be very key for the creative industries and moving uh, dailies or anything in the creative space at a very fast time. We're also going to have a, a thing called Clear Channel. So it's going to be like 1080p, like we're in the same room and we can collaborate. And that's what we're going to be showcasing is some of the uh, demonstration. We're going to have a director on one side and say, hey, this shot, can you make it a little more blue? And then we're going to do it, and it's going to happen in a real-time situation. So when you say Clear Channel, of course, you know, there's a, a media <laughs> company called Clear Channel. I'm Not sorry, Clearview. Clear Got it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make that <laughs> clarification because I was getting confused. But Clearview, um, can you speak a little bit about what kind of actual bandwidth is required for Clearview? Yeah, well, the the connection itself is uh, one gig, up to one gig mm-hmm. when we need to turn it on. And then if we really need to move a lot of data, it's up to 10 gig. It's kind of like a switch. Mm-hmm. And are you working with a, a specific a telecom provider to provide the actual transport? Uh, our partner in that is a SohoNet, and they act as our um, chief correspondent between... The uh, actual the telecom provider, yep. and then they actually provide some value-added network on yep. top of that. 
I got it. Now, of course, uh, previously, the reason why this is important is that even when Lost was filming here, they would put the rules of film on a plane. Exactly. Or uh, if you film here, you're going to put it on a disk drive or even a thumb drive and carry it out or ship it out because you needed perhaps bays of editors in Hollywood or Shanghai or Singapore to do the editing. Now, those people can be based here. Yeah, with these new gigahubs, it really, in the private point-to-point fiber, we have uh, cybersecurity, you, you know, you're not going to potentially lose it on a flight. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Even the the time that you can save in moving the data in a matter of an hour, I mean, terabytes of information, as opposed to, oh, okay, we're going to FedEx this and, you know, hope that nothing happens to it. Now, I don't want to take the uh, steam out of the actual open house on Friday, but can you describe what the Oahu location might look like? I can sort of envision big monitors and sort of this whole telepresence uh, with AV equipment, well, sensor around. Yeah, no, we're a humble startup uh, beginning, but no, it's going to have a room where you can come in and, and um, collect, uh, sorry, work through our editing suites. And we're also going to have uh, access to a very large room. So we're looking at doing larger events, mm-hmm. um, utilizing the connectivity. Um, but yeah, so anybody that wants to move uh, large amounts of data. So this location is, is also... An interesting choice. It's the foreign trade zone. Is that correct? Yeah, it's at five twenty one Ala Moana. Mm-hmm. Any particular reason why uh, that location? Uh, we just felt like it was a central place, and it was just a good uh, partnership opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. So this event on uh, Friday, it's and I, I know that when you launched the broadband connection maybe a couple of months ago, you had kind of a, a party on both ends, one in Hollywood and one here. So now you're going to be doing the same thing with yeah. Kona and, and Oahu. Exactly. We feel like it's going to bring the islands closer together. We've built this rail, railroad, and uh, we're, you know we're excited to see what's going to happen. One of the things that was mentioned was that uh, this broadband connection through SohoNet also provides perhaps connectivity for other startups and other entrepreneurial activity here in Honolulu. Is that correct? Yeah, we're in early stages of figuring out how can we uh, cross-pollinate this connectivity for other industries, whether it's telemedicine or banking, uh, but we're excited to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And how's the accelerator doing in terms of cohorts? Are you coming into one? Where, where are you in your cycle? We're about halfway through the second round. We chose seven companies, and part of the event this Friday, we're going to be showcasing the seven companies, and we're going to be doing a focus group. So if you're out there and you want to come and um, give your opinion, are we on the right track? Would I watch this? Is this a good title? Um, come mm. and, and visit us starting at 530 uh, to sign up for that, it's gvsaccelerator.com slash focus. Okay. Now, the groups or the teams that are part of you, your latest cohort, uh, give us a sense of what kinds of products they might be creating. We have a couple of feature films. Um, we have a young uh, teenage uh, kind of young YouTube animation. Star. Mm-hmm. You, we have mm-hmm. a YouTube star from, from the Big Island, uh, Alex Farnham. Um, so it's a, it's a broad... We, we we purposely wanted to keep it uh, in a broad sense. Now about, we've uh, you know we featured a number of different uh, accelerator groups, uh, from Blue Startups to Accelerate UH to the Energy Accelerator and the upcoming Startup Connector. Stay That's right. tuned. That's right. Uh, he's just waiting to have his turn. Now, in terms of the accelerator participant or the team participation, are they all in Kona or are they kind of dispersed wherever they are? Uh, and then you guys offer sort of the hub of, uh, let's say, mentoring or knowledge. or, or And how do you distribute that if they're, dis- you know, all over the place? Yeah, well, we do a lot of virtual collaboration, mm-hmm. and okay. this is really going to be a, a next step. Uh, we do have um, people in the cohort in, in Maui and Oahu, and so 
we are all over the place, but we feel like with this new uh, connectivity, it's, it's going to make it that much easier. Okay, so it's not like, uh, you know, Blue, where everybody has to be sort of sequestered in the the offices at Blue. They don't have to necessarily all be in Kona. We do have specific times when we do, you know, like this this weekend, everyone's going to be there, right. and uh, the mentors are going to be pouring into each of the seven companies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay, cool, so cool. if somebody wanted to attend, all access, get a sneak preview of these ses- seven um, cohort members. Uh, where is, again, and when is the event, and where do they go to sign up? Yes, it's gvsaccelerator.com slash focus. It starts at 2 o'clock, November 20th, 521 Ala Moana here in Honolulu, and then in Kona, it's at Hanua, Hanua Studios. Great. Fantastic. So we'll put that up on our show notes. Absolutely. Thank you. And, of course, uh, Thank you waiting. very much for joining us. Yeah, Dave, Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having us. And, of course, waiting patiently here. And, of course, <clears throat> his accelerator that we want to talk about is, is Colin Kobayashi. He's the co-founder of something called the Startup Connector, and it's a brand-new manufacturing accelerator. We want to welcome you to the show, Colin. Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so... As we uh, mentioned earlier, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of accelerators out there, and this is the first sort of manufacturing accelerator. Kind of give us a sense of what your focus might be. Sure. So our main objective is to uh, work with hardware development companies and to get them ready for full-scale manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So um, getting them through the whole product development cycle and uh, beyond prototyping and into the mass production. Uh, so kind of getting them ready for the whole market. Now, Colin, is this something that you saw was a need? I mean, um, we are excited. I mean, Bert and I, watching the evolution of the local ecosystem for startups and businesses and entrepreneurs, uh, seeing many different accelerators focus on different things from energy to University of Hawaii technology transfer, and now we have the hardware piece. I know that there are programs like SBIR and federal grants that can help you with that, um, but it's certainly kind of a niche or it's a new uh, area to be focused on. What, uh, what inspired you to turn this into an accelerator program? So what we've seen is that there's a lot of uh, products being developed, and there's different points where the companies um, get off track, whether it's not having the right um, technical expertise or not having the right experience or not knowing you know, where to go. So we're going to help them um, get through that cycle and get, get them uh, to get their products uh, to market. So, Colin, uh, you know, we've had you on talking about the 3D innovations, and that's your company that uh, does a lot of uh, sort of 3D printing, and, yep. and you can tell us more about what, what it is that you do. But did you see a gap, I guess, in the marketplace for companies perhaps using your service to do some prototyping and then and then potentially now taking it to the next level? Um, and, and that's where this, I think, manufacturing accelerator is going to fit in? Yeah, the main gap that uh, I've seen personally as well is that the companies. Uh, can get through, you know, testing and prototyping, but uh, really get stuck on getting their data package, if you will, ready for, you know, uh, full-scale production. And that's where our main focus is going to be is to help them through that, but then to also be able to connect them to potential partners, uh, suppliers, and buyers. So when you say data package, what are you what are you referring to? Uh, there's a certain process that you would need to go through to get it developed, and a lot of times they skip over certain things, and so we want to help them to create that data package. Mm-hmm. So one of the main areas that creates a big downfall is for uh, testing and certification. So, for example, FCC certification or UL, and so we're going to help them. Underwriters um, Lab. Yeah, yeah, to help them. Um, get ready for those different types of certifications. Not to actually do it, but mm-hmm, to help mm-hmm. them prep 
and submit for it. I mean, there's a lot of those. I mean, uh, we've talked to Juicy's doing the mm-hmm. cables where they try to get the Apple um, certification as well to be able to have that kind of uh, approval. Now, Colin, I know you're a co-founder. You're working with and you're with 3D Innovations. We, we've loved talking to you about 3D printing and your expertise there. You're also working with Bob Nakata, uh, yes. previously of Kai Medical, a sensor pro- company. Can you tell us a little bit about how that connection happened and what he brings to the table? Sure. Uh, f- uh, I've been working with Bob and I've known him for several years now. And uh, we were at an event one one night and we we're just talking and, you know, he expressed interest in um, in the hardware side. And, you know, I've been trying to uh, go in that area as well. So it just sort of made sense for us to kind of pair up and kind of launch it together. Mm-hmm. Now, this is being the sort of the first launch of uh, Startup Connector. What can you can you describe the program that you would like to put your teams through, the cohorts through? Yeah, so we have two tracks. Uh, the first track is what we're calling track one, which is a business startup program. So helping them through the basics of you know getting a startup, uh, business model canvas, um, market assessment, uh, financial models, uh, IP assistance. And then track two is the actual, um, what we're calling the uh, pre-manufacturing program, where we take them through the steps that I just mentioned uh, going through product development assistance, uh, prototyping, supply chain management, and um, actually taking them to um, overseas manufacturers. So if mm-hmm. they do want to work with overseas manufacturers or even ones in the U.S., we'll help them make that connection and also take them there for, for different site visits. Mm-hmm. How, how large do you envision either tracks the uh, number of companies to be, or you are basically going to feel out what the market has for you? Uh, right now, we're going to limit it to probably five or six companies, at least for the first cohort, uh, see how that goes, and then uh, hopefully scale up from there. Now, um, you know, other accelerators, certainly they help pr- with providing with this kind of guidance, special expertise that you have, helping people b- turning their prototypes into products. Uh, but the other piece, of course, is investment and, and maybe taking uh, some interest in that company. Have you worked out what that looks like for a participating company? We have discussed it. Uh, there's a couple of different models that we're trying to approach. So we're going to talk with the companies and uh, see what makes sense. So uh, unlike, uh, let's say, Blue Startups, where they have some state money, are you are you looking at getting similar kinds of uh, investments from the state? Or are you looking at other investors? Yes, we're actually uh, actively pursuing both state and federal funds. Okay. And uh, you, know, you, you sort of answered this question but the idea of a manufacturer in Hawaii, you know, they have a, they have a let's say, a hardware design. Uh, it's not necessarily that they're going to build it and, and sort of mass produce it in Hawaii. That may be done in Asia or in the U.S. So you're looking at helping them get to the point where they can make the decision to actually have a mass production uh, facility take on, you know, the hundreds of thousands of orders that might come up. Yeah, that's correct. We're not going to uh, – we're going to get them ready to – um, allow them to make it wherever they want, not mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we will ask you in just a bit how somebody can find more information about the uh, Startup Connector, but I did want to ask you very briefly because you also were participating in Startup Weekend Honolulu over the weekend. Yes. And, you know, we thought in June when the winner was 15-year-old Liam Clive, like, <laughs> wow, they're getting younger. But the winners this past weekend were younger kids, and they were doing something called the Mene Hune Hat Clip, and you were one of their mentors. Tell us a little bit about what their creative creation was and what you helped them with. Yeah, so they had a, a, a problem, actually. So when they went surfing, they had really no good solution to mount a camera onto their hat. and so Like a GoPro like or a GoPro or camera, a smaller yeah. camera. And so they wanted to find a way to make something. And um, what, they dis- what they found out was that there are two or three products on the market that didn't really work too well. So they wanted to explore 
making something better. So mm-hmm. with them um, and the other two team members, uh, we're able to to do that in a very short amount of time. Wow. Now, good. are they going to be enrolling in the Startup Connector Accelerator Program to make mass produce their hat clips? Right now, <laughs> uh, we're talking about that as one option, but I think they're going to do a Kickstarter campaign first um, and do some other things um, to launch it. So, of course, they move on to the next the next round of uh, Startup Weekends, and so... Uh, they're going to pursue that, and then uh, we'll take it from there. Fantastic. So then this leads into this question, which is what would the typical company look like that would apply for one of your uh, sort of cohort spots? Yeah, so they can be an uh, uh, early stage company or one that's already established that's looking for more assistance. Uh, maybe they had a bad experience you know, in, in the past with their current suppliers. Mm-hmm, uh, so mm-hmm. we'll help them to you know, make that process better. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of a kind of hardware product that you're talking about? Is it, is it, like, uh, is it essentially 3D printing than what that can do? Or are we talking about chips and control systems and things like that? Yeah, so we're talking about different, uh, different markets, I guess. One could be uh, medical devices. We've talked to a few companies who are doing some of that. Uh, consumer electronics, mm. um, you know, things around that area. And, and, and focus primarily on, on local companies? Or are you opening this up to other uh, companies elsewhere? The first cohort is going to be just for Hawaii companies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we plan to expand uh, for the second and beyond. All oh, right. Good. So when are you going to be taking applications for this first cohort of the Startup Connector? So applications will start on December 1st and will run through the end of the month. And then the first cohort will start in mid-January. And where can someone go if they have an idea for something they want to build to apply or find more information? Yep, they can go to startup-connector.com for more information, or they can send us an email at info at startup-connector.com. Very good. We'll put that up on the show notes. Thanks, Colin, for joining us. Thank you. And, of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Gideon Marks and Peter Rowan to talk about entrepreneurship. What is new about being an entrepreneur in the 21st century? Of course, we love your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands. That number is 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring our Twitter feed. You can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Hi. This is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Glenn Aparicio Perry, the author of Original Thinking, and next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about a radical revisioning of time, humanity, and nature. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ran Ozawa. And joining us today are Gideon Marks and Peter Rowan. Gideon Marks is the entrepreneur in residence over at Blue Startups and a seasoned executive in the high-tech uh, 
let's say, companies with a background in finance, business, and corporate development. He has global ties to Silicon Valley, Israel, Japan, and Portugal, and is also a private angel investor with uh, in several startup companies. Peter Rowan, meanwhile, is a seasoned investor, educator, and entrepreneur who is the angel in residence at Sultan Ventures. Peter teaches entrepreneurship and new venture strategy at UH and is active in the entrepreneurial community as an advisor, mentor, and investor, including... In blue startups. Oh wow! Okay, uh, there are common are there common traits uh, among successful entrepreneurs, and of course, we'd love to uncover those as well as find out uh, if you have a comment or question about being an entrepreneur. That number to call is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. So let's start with uh, both uh, Gideon and Peter uh, with a definition. Gideon, give us uh, in 15 seconds or less <laughs> your definition of what an entrepreneur is. So first of all, thanks very much for hosting me, giving me the opportunity to speak uh, and share some of my experience. So having worked with many entrepreneurs, I would say that usually, and things change along the last 25 years, I think that most entrepreneurs that I've met are extremely passionate about making an impact, making something different. I think that you've got to look at always at the big picture. You've got to make a difference, whether it's hardware, software, application. But if you focus on something small, don't bother. Hmm. Um, they've got to have some leadership capabilities. They've got to be paranoid because even when you achieve something, Look back, there is uh, some competitors behind you. So there are lots of uh, things that I've identified, but I would say I love to work with entrepreneurs that are extremely passionate and want to make an impact behind them. Mm -hmm. I like that. In fact, nothing that you didn't say, they're after the money. They're about making a difference. Uh, Peter, what do you, how would you characterize that that central defining trait? Well, first, I, I agree with what Gideon said. And I also would include, in terms of a definition of entrepreneurship, that entrepreneurs aren't afraid to fail. Obviously, they have to have a lot of passion, but I've never met a successful entrepreneur that that feared failure because they didn't even start. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about uh, an entrepreneur, are there specific characteristics? I mean, you're you're bringing up the fact of uh, no fear of failure. You know, maybe uh, passion uh, and a healthy paranoia. How healthy, par- yeah, and I think I have a, a high degree of paranoia. You could be an entrepreneur. That's right. <laughs> but I don't think just being paranoid is qualification. I always remember, uh, bring Cisco as a good uh, example. I was back in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. in data communications. Mm-hmm. And Cisco, which is now the most dominant player in data communications and above, was surrounded by many other companies. And what I admired about their way of management, I called them, the, they were paranoid because they always looked behind to see what the other companies are doing. They never stopped running, chasing new targets. And I learned from Cisco a lot how to focus on the target, which is far away, and always look behind you. Mm. What are the threats? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Peter, I mean, is that kind of a similar experience that you've encountered with with interacting with successful entrepreneurs? Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I think Paranoia goes a long way. I think fear is a great motivator, in fact. I would also like to add that that um, entrepreneurs tend to be excellent at recognizing opportunity. And so there's this sort of this balance between 
not being afraid to fail and try something new, but but also looking out there and seeing something that other people don't see. Mm-hmm. And it, it could be a small thing or it could be a big thing, but they go after it because they, they see an opportunity to exploit. Um, so they're opportunistic. So, so you know, you mentioned small things, and Hawaii is is probably predominantly uh, populated by small businesses. I, I don't I don't remember the number. I think it's like twenty thousand small businesses. But as a small business person wanting to start up a food truck, I mean, is that entrepreneurial in that endeavor? Absolutely. I think that's that's the essence of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. because you know, although that business is small usually the person who's starting that food truck, they're putting everything into it, you know? They're identifying an opportunity and maxing out their credit cards and just, and they're they're willing to go for it instead of, you know, going back to school or staying with their big corporate job. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, food truck guys that I know that uh, have started at the very grassroots level and they're just passionate about making, you know, whatever food they're making and that's what they want to build their business on. I would like to add about this thing I think that besides building a family, you know, having kids, I think if you're an entrepreneur, it's probably the most important thing after your family. Mm. Sometimes you'll spend more hours during the week in your company, in your startup. So you've got to be, I use the word passionate because I believe that you've got to be passionate about life. You've got to be passionate about your family and things you do. But it's a it's a new way of living. Once you form a company and you gather around yourself other people, your team members, it's I like to say it's twenty four seven, three sixty five, hundred and twenty percent of your time. You've got to do it. Well let me ask you something. I mean, what do you how do you differentiate between an entrepreneur and a businessman? I mean or a business Is there a person. Transition that right. Happens? I mean before you know, people have been in business for centuries, <laughs> but now it's a little more fashionable to call them entrepreneurs. But people who have started businesses have been around for ages, and we've called them a business person. I mean, what's the difference in your mind between an entrepreneur and a business person? So it's it's a good question because I think that the tendency these days is because of the technology, the high tech, is to usually associate entrepreneur with high-tech. Now, I have been 30 years in high-tech, so usually when I use the word entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. it's high-tech. But there are many entrepreneurs in other domains that uh, can be commercial and can be other things. So I think that if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to have the same set of skills in every domain. I'm more focused on technology because I feel that it's my area of expertise, but I'm, 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 I see so many other business people who begin new ideas and doesn't always have to be in technology. Mm-hmm. Peter? Now, Peter, you've taught at UH and at the Scheidler School of Business. Now, certainly that is creating entrepreneurs, but it's also creating people who want to be the next senior vice president of a major bank. So I think you might have an interesting perspective on how you would differentiate, if there is one, between a business person and an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, so I think of entrepreneurship as more of an attitude than a set of skills. I mean, there are skills involved, certainly. Um, you know, all business people started as entrepreneurs at one point. I mean, if they start if they started the business, and then as they grew it, 
you know, they became more managers and more optimizers of the business, and they naturally became more risk averse because there was there were there were more there was more to lose as the business got bigger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the early stage, an entrepreneur sees has a lot of risk and a lot of opportunity, and not as much to lose. And um, yeah. So, so you can actually, and then we want to probably get into this a little bit more. So there is a there could be an evolutionary path for an entrepreneur if they get a business started and then as they build that business and the business becomes successful but they want to preserve that success, they may turn into more of a conservative business person. I think that is what has traditionally happened. I don't necessarily think that's what should happen. So for me, I try to teach entrepreneurship and you know across a broad group of people that have all sorts of different career goals, hoping that they bring those that entrepreneurship entrepreneurial attitude to the big corporation as well because I think big companies are also usually successful on the basis of some set of entrepreneurs that are really pushing the company to new levels. They're not just managing the status quo. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I you know, I tell my students to get experience by trying to be an entrepreneur. Great, great. So we're talking to Peter Rowan from uh, – he's the angel in residence over at uh, Accelerate UH and, of course uh, – is that correct? Yes. Gideon, and, and, and Gideon, Gideon Marks is uh, the entrepreneur in residence over at uh, Blue Startups. And uh, we're taking questions on entrepreneurship and what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 on the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Joe from Haleiwa to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. How's it Hello going? Hello there. Yes, hi. hi. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah, um, one of the things that uh, that I was just listening to it it made a lot of sense to me uh, to to mention uh, is that uh, in the beginning it, it's a really good idea, or if you're afraid, to get a partner, have a partner, and if it makes it a little easier to get into something like that because you, you know you have that camaraderie, someone else that. It's also a part of it. You know, that's what I did when I first got started. Uh, not not by choice, but it just seemed like the logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. But then make sure there's a clear path in case each should decide to buy the other out. Mm-hmm. Because that can get real complicated, especially if the business does really well. Uh, it's one of the things that I had to deal with, getting... Uh, in, in uh, my involvement with Surf and Sea, but uh, I mean we're 30 years later. I'm 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 still the still the basic uh, owner, but huh. in the beginning I had three partners. Right, right. And I would have never probably gotten into the business had I not had someone with me. You know. Got it. And nice. I think that 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 fear is uh, probably keeps a lot of people from doing it. You mm-hmm. know. And and another thing too is is uh, not only learning about uh, how to run a business, but learning how to sell, mm. how to do cu- good customer service so that your business will thrive. You can have the best product and the best location, but if you don't have the, the, the sales knowledge or the people to sell for you that can make that connection, you may not do well. Well, but if very you can, good. Very good yeah. points. 
Yeah, thanks, Joel. Thanks Joel, for... thank you very much. Yes, Haleiwa, Surf and Sea, thank you for sharing your own experience. And I think there's a couple of things we can definitely focus on there. One, co-founders and partnerships, but I agree that a, a way to end it might be important. And, of course, the sales side. For the partnerships, Gideon, um, uh, I am a member of a co- of a company in the cohort of Blue Startups, and I would not be there would it not be for the other co-founders, the other partners there. So you can distribute your your capabilities and your risks. Uh, what what are your thoughts on, you know, because a lot of people think of entrepreneurs as lone wolves, but that's not always the case. So I would say that uh, lone wolves fail. Uh, every company that is successful, usually you'll see a team of people. It's got to be at least two, hopefully three or four, People who worked together for a few years have maybe have failed in the past. They know how to work as a team. And also I would add that the team is about diversity. I think one of the great things that I'm seeing, whether it's in Silicon Valley, Hawaii, Israel, I just came back from Portugal, one of the great things that I see is teams that people come from so many nations. This is the new generation today. You're seeing people from so many places. In our blue startups, for instance, we've got people from Singapore, Canada, Poland, some from the U.S., and some other people. And the diversity that we're seeing, and when you see a team of people, the three or four, this is, I would say, the most important thing. And I believe Peter, when he looks at some investments as an angel, he will usually look at teams because at the very beginning, it's a bunch of ideas. But you look at these people, and these people actually can determine whether this idea can become become reality. What happens if there are any hurdles on the way? A strong team, diversified, can overcome these hurdles. Mm -hmm. So it's about a team. Absolutely. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Yeah. Team is the first criteria we would look for in, in terms of evaluating an applicant for, say, Accelerate UH or, or um, evaluating an, a personal investment. Uh, I think it's actually more important than the idea um, because you, you, you want to see that the people have done it before and even if it hasn't worked out. In fact, in this case, failure is, is, a, is a badge of honor because the chances are that if they failed in one area, they, they won't fail again. It's, it's sort of like lightning striking twice, you hope. And so you invest really behind the team more than the idea. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the idea, if you're, if you're you know, investing in high-growth startups, the idea has to have potential. And, and there's ways of looking at that as well. But the first thing is always the team. Mm-hmm. In fact, we would discourage entrepreneurs from coming in as a single person. And if they came into one of our programs as a single entrepreneur – one of the milestones we would require is get a partner. You know, that's a, and, and that's, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I've noticed that in a lot of the accelerators and coming in as a team, they are looking for a co-founder. So you may have an idea, but there's always a question, well, who's your technical co-founder? So there was a whole period of time when people were thinking, well, you know, I need to find a you know, technical co-founder. So I think Joe brings up a good, good point that you come in with a partner, you, you, know, you want to have this sort of a team effect. The, the question that I, I wanted to explore a little bit, uh, which Joe sort of uh, touched on, was how do you structure it in such a fashion that you know, if there is an opportunity to, let's say, buy somebody out or 
make a decision. You don't want co-founders to come in at 50-50, right? I mean, that's a hard thing to create a, you know, a deciding vote on. How do you, how do you uh, mitigate that? Yeah, 50-50 partners, partnerships are, are rough, and most of them end in divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there, but there's a lot of ways that sort of Im- immediately ameliorate that issue because usually um, they need funding as well. And so as soon as somebody else is invested, then you know the, it's not a 50-50 partnership anymore. Uh, but I think the ownership structure is actually less important than, than the dynamics, the team dynamics, because it doesn't really matter what the equity split is if the team isn't you know isn't dynamic and tight and and gels and works together in a in a in an efficient manner so there's no real point in fighting over you know uh, who owns what percent of zero if if they're not actually doing the thing they set out to do. Mm-hmm. And, and Gideon, I mean, again, speaking from my experience, um, I'm working with my friend Vincent and Justin and Isar, and we we had to sort all of this stuff out and have these questions. But of course, you're not going to go even splits. Some Part of it to me, and you can uh, pro- prove me wrong perhaps, is that a lot of times you have to have a place where the buck stops, that there's going to be that 60 to 70% control because if there is a pivot point, if there is a major decision to be made, you can't have a completely split vote where nothing happens. So I think we, there isn't one formula here. Sometimes you've got a person who comes with an idea, and then he attracts some other people to join him. So usually in these cases, it won't be 50-50 or 33% for three people. Then you'll see something different. But sometimes I saw some companies uh, in Israel, for instance, a few young people coming from one of the elite units with military idea. They want to commercialize it. So sometimes you'll see four people. Each one has 25%. It makes a lot of sense. The nice thing about this is that these people work together for a few years, so they know already how to work together. Mm. I'd like to add one thing, and Peter, you as an angel investor, you probably are aware of this. So one of the things that entrepreneurs and founders should know that when they found a company, they should be, they should have some vesting period even for their own founders' shares. So as Peter said, sometimes people get divorced. Entrepreneurs get divorced from their partners. And what happens if I own 33% and he owns 33%? If I leave the company, the company wants to buy back these shares because they want to give these shares to newcomers in the company. Mm. So I urge entrepreneurs and founders, in order to attract uh, angel investors and VCs from scratch to build a share plan or warrants option that is already structured in a with a vesting period. And this solves a lot of the issues that we were referring to. Now, Peter, though, I mean, um, that's a lot of math. You know, I mean, I, I, I still don't fully understand it myself. Is this something that there's a solution for? Is there a app for that? Is there a, you know, or do we all enroll in your class? There are some pretty good tools out there, and there's great resources online for entrepreneurs. And um, there's templates you can find. There's cap tables. There's vesting schedules. You know, there's there's recommended structures for advisors and for founders. And, you know, as you hire non-founding executives, there's rules of thumb. So I, I, I would say, you know, Go Google spend it. some time on <laughs> Venture Hacks and, venture. and figure it out. So yeah. 
I think, and this has uh, a little bit to do with China determine, you know, who gets what and who owns what. But in terms of the team, and uh, and I think both of you have emphasized the team. When you are evaluating a company coming into one of your accelerators, or you know, you're looking at sort of this entrepreneurial environment. What do you look for in a team? Because if it's not just one person and one person having the passion or having the uh, paranoia or having the desire to, you know, Change fear of failure, yeah. So what do you look for in a team? And and is it something that you have to cultivate, or or do you, you know, do they either have it or don't have it? Well, I mean, there's there's obviously you know technical aspects that are required in starting a business, whether it's a high tech business or it's a low tech business. And and I don't think that an entrepreneur should expect that that they need to wear all the hats. And I don't think that's actually even a good formula. So, it, but they have to be able to confront their own weaknesses. Sort of, you know, confront the brutal facts that, you know, I don't know how to sell product. I know how to build product, but not sell product. So mm-hmm. then you have to get a partner who can sell it, right? And um, so you have to you have to find all those roles at, at the earliest possible stage. Sometimes there's one. Amazing person that can do do it, but not so, that often. So if you if you're looking at a team, and you don't have to pick any particular team that's in this room here, but if you <laughs> if you were to look at a team, are you looking at well who's going to sell it, who's going to make it, who's going to design it? I mean, and 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 if if the team came in as a as a bunch of friends, how do you break it to them that maybe they got to find some new teammates? So when when I look at a team, I try to see some kind of a balanced. Um, features that each one of the people brings into the t- onto the table. So usually you'll see one who's a little bit more strong on the technology side. One is more strong on the sales. Uh, one is strong about closing deals. But there is a solution for this. So one of the challenges that the young entrepreneurs know, so sometimes you'll meet people who are 25, 23 years old, you look at them and you smile. You see this passion mm-hmm, and they, mm-hmm. they really want to make an impact. And they're worried because they don't have enough experience. Mm-hmm. So here's the solution. And it's called mentors or advisory board members. We need, or oh, I, I, I do propose to a lot of the young founders, young entrepreneurs, to add additional layers into their management team, like having a board of directors, advisory board and mentors that can complement and bring a lot of their experience. It can be connections to customers. It can be connections to potential uh, potential investors. It can they can help them with structuring future fundraising. So I'm not too worried about you know if the crew of the team has solutions for every segment of the young company because I want to see if they can add additional layers into them. Well, that's great. And, you know, what I also want to explore perhaps is as the team evolves, I mean, where does sort of entrepreneurship play a role in this evolving team? Let's hold that thought. We'll be right right, uh, back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Gideon Marks and Peter Rowan about entrepreneurship. And uh, we'd, of course, love to hear from you as well. If you've got a question, you've got a business idea, and you just want to know what the next step might be, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. On the next On Being... 
If you can let yourself fail, if you can let yourself be really bad, if you can take the risk... Or just look awkward on look purpose. Look awkward. <laughs> then you can do a whole lot of other things after that. Visual artist Anne Hamilton on making and the spaces we share. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Hear Krista Tippett on Being, Sunday morning at 10, right after Weekend Edition. The European Food Safety Authority and EU member states have reassessed a chemical often found in pesticides. Next on The Conversation, we'll talk with Bill Fries, science policy analyst for the Center for Food Safety. We'll hear why his organization says there are major flaws in the report on glyphosate. That's tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We're talking to Gideon Marks and Peter Rowan about developing your entrepreneurial skills. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, you know, we had a question that we want to answer, and that is, Peter, how do you identify an entrepreneur? I mean, can you... In your classes, in your walks around campus, or perhaps downtown, can you spot one? I, I think I can. I, you have to ask them a couple of questions or, or actually listen for, for the questions they might ask or the statements they might make. So a classic sorting mechanism I've used with my students over the years, mm-hmm. when they, many of my students have brought entrepreneurial ideas. They've pitched me on businesses in the past. And they might sound like the greatest idea in the world, but if they say these words, it's a non-starter. If they say, I can't afford to quit my day job, that means that they're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> because entrepreneurs have to be willing to, 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 to risk everything and put it all on the line. And so as soon as you're dependent on whatever it is you're doing for your day job, you're not an entrepreneur. You can have entrepreneurial thoughts, but you have to break free and and Put it on the line. Mm-hmm. I like that. Very now, good. now, Gideon, are you what? Are you raising your hand? Or are you just <laughs> saying, "Yeah, that's"? I I agree. I actually <laughs> said in the beginning of this uh, conversation that entrepreneurs should be committed 120 percent of their time, 24 uh-huh. seven, 365. If you rely on other people's salary, something is wrong. The odds of success. I'm not there. Well, I, I did also <laughs> wanted to talk a little bit about the the ideas. You know, people come to you with ideas, and certainly, uh, I hear many people walk up and say, "I've got a perfect idea for an app. I just need someone to build it for me." And you know, those are there is no shortage of ideas. So when someone is trying to perhaps determine for themselves if they've got what it takes, do you have any advice to say that's a good idea? Oh, that's a great topic. I love talking about this. <laughs> so. The biggest challenge, and I think that as the world is transitioning from hardware towards software, every person who studies coding and programming can do something. When I began my high-tech career, it was more about data communications. You had to be engineering. And, you know, it was years of developing things. At least I felt then that people were always looking for a problem. Once you identify a problem, you form a company that is solving the problem. I think one of the biggest challenges we have these days 
And every entrepreneur, who, everyone who thinks he or she are entrepreneurs, should look at the mirror and ask themselves, is my idea a solution looking for a problem, or is this a problem looking for a solution? If you're the first and it's a solution looking for a problem, I suggest think about a different idea. The world does not need companies focusing on solutions that are looking for problems. Mm-hmm. That's not the way. Identify a problem and then just go and solve it and make an impact. Well, you know, that uh, seems to be the initial thing that is always brought up at any of the, let's say, startup weekends or uh, sort of the pitch contests that, that uh, are held. The question, the first question is always asked, what problem are you trying to solve? So, so Peter, when you uh, teach class at UH, I mean, what is, it, what is it that you try to convey to the students? I mean, is it also the idea that, you know, you should start off with trying to solve a problem, and if they're passionate about it, then that sort of gets them to the next level of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that's right. I think there's something to that. We're also, right now, obviously, we're, we're sort of addic- addicted to this lean startup methodology, which is all about providing evidence that this, that, that, that this is a good, uh, this is a real problem, that it's a big problem that deserves to be solved mm-hmm. by, you know, going out and talking to potential customers and so forth. So, you know, in my class at UH, they're contemplating being entrepreneurs, or I'm, I'm trying to, you know, brain, brainwash them into being entrepreneurs in the future. In the entrepreneurship program and, and in the Hogan program at Chaminade, where I also teach, they actually have their own businesses already. So hmm. I, I'm really helping them execute on businesses that they already came in with. And in mm-hmm. a way, these are actually real true entrepreneurs because many of them are paying their way through, through school mm-hmm. by running a bu- business already. So you get all kinds. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked a little bit about the importance of not having a fear of failure. And I would also say that successful entrepreneurs have a long resume of failures behind them to get to where they are. Um, but that also generates fear for a lot of people. Uh, so, Gideon, you know, you're willing to put the, the, your life, your, everything on the line to, to start a business. Um, what do you say about that fear factor that might be holding somebody back? I actually want to meet people that failed because hopefully this person that I'm going maybe to join as a team member Maybe I'll invest money in this person. I want to see that he learned from events that happened in the past. And unfortunately, we're not always successful. Not everything works like we want it. So I want to see a person who had experience and can look at the mirror and say, I've learned from this. Let's do things differently. I served in the Air Force, and whenever... You finish a task, a mission, you do the briefing. And you focus not just on the things that went well, but you focus on the things that went wrong. What do I learn from failure? What do I learn from mistakes? I learn from mistakes. I learn by listening to others. And then hopefully in the future, I'll avoid these mistakes. You know, the um, the idea of trying to foster more entrepreneurs. And, and obviously, you know, the more there are, the more startups there are, the more business opportunity there might be, the more uh, opportunity for success. But as the entrepreneur goes through that timeline of, of 
developing their business, I mean, they may change and, and perhaps become at a point where they don't want to leave their day job because that day job is successful, right? And they perhaps uh, lose some of the entrepreneurial edge. Uh, so you're not advocating that everybody just stays an entrepreneur, right? I mean, because some of these folks will evolve to a point where they're just running their business. Uh, Peter, I mean, what do you what do well, you? Th- what would be wrong with that, though? Why 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 shouldn't you bring this entrepreneurial attitude, this um, you know, this uh, acceptance of failure into the workplace when you're a successful company? That doesn't necessarily mean you're you're risking everything. It just it just means that you're you're innovating and you're being flexible and you're learning and you're iterating. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the problems with I think bigger companies is that they end up being consumed by fear. Mm-hmm. So their 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 motivation is all driven off of keeping what they have now, you know, trying to be keep ahead of the competition. They're afraid of of everything they've built being taken away. Mm. And whereas entrepreneurs, you know, they're not afraid to fail. There isn't as much to lose, there isn't as far to fall. But if you brought that into a big company, mm-hmm. I, I think you could create an uh, you know an entrepreneurial movement in a big company as well as a small company. And well, companies so- certainly have have tried to do that. Now uh, we we heard about Startup Connector before the break. We have uh, you're the angel in residence at Sultan Ventures, and there's Accelerate UH, and there's Blue Startups, and Hawaii is starting to see various pieces of this this ecosystem coming together. So I think before we run out of time, one of the things that I did want to ask the experts is, you know, we're seeing so many attempts to make this happen, even from the government level. And some people are saying you don't or you do want government involved in perhaps fostering this. Gideon, I mean, is there something that you see with your international experience in other cities that Hawaii could do relatively straightforward to help foster an entrepreneurial ecosystem? So usually when people talk about government interference, it, especially in the U.S., it's negative. But I come from another country that I've seen a few government initiatives that actually made a big eco change. The whole infrastructure changed. And so, for instance, Israel was focused in the 50s and 60s on textile, agriculture. But it had one great thing. It had good education system, and it was, it was a melting pot. So people from all over the world, from 80 countries, came into this new country. So when you begin to have diversity, things begin to, to change. The government made a few interesting uh, laws, such as they gave grants for R&D. Mm. They gave grants for investments. They gave tax exempts. I believe that in Singapore, which is also a small country with 5 million people, I believe, you're seeing the same pattern of behavior. Government gives grants, tax incentives, the most important thing, it attracts people from all over the world. Mm. So when we talk about Hawaii wanting to change, first of all, we've got to understand it's a process. It won't happen in a year. It can take 5, 10, 20 years. You've got to have every player in this island be part of this. Mm-hmm. It can be the hotels. It can be the financial services. It can be the insurance companies. It can be the agriculture, the military, for instance. What a great place for innovation. Imagine you take some of their know-how and you commercialize it. I would say that I've seen in Berlin, Tel Aviv, San Francisco, how these cities are attracting young people. They create these areas where it's fun to live. 
You've got places where the youngsters hang out. They don't just drink. <laughs> they talk about innovation. They build, they form teams. Yeah. So, so let's do the same here. So Peter, I mean, in teaching class, in, in seeing the young entrepreneurs coming uh, up from you know, the, the uh, university and college levels, uh, going into the marketplace, what do you see as being the hope for Hawaii in this entrepreneurial environment and ecosystem? And do you see potentially Hawaii being a place for startups to be, you know, to, to, to prosper? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, one of your previous shows, uh, uh, there was a discussion about, you know, there, aren't, there isn't enough capital. There isn't mm-hmm. enough venture capital mm-hmm. or, you know, late-stage capital. I can't remember. But, you know, I disagree with that. I think that good deals always find investment. And so if, if you trace that back, then how do you create the good deals? Well, it's really not about the idea. It's about the people. So you have to create good entrepreneurs. So you have to breed entrepreneurs. You have to train entrepreneurs. The only reason why Silicon Valley or Seattle or, or Herzliya are, are in, in cre- incredible places for entrepreneurship is because there's a lot of entrepreneurs. So we just have to educate people down at the college level, but even before at the high school level, you know, even even before that. You, you know, you saw these young these young winners on Startup Weekend this mm-hmm. this weekend, and the, and last year it was a 15 year old. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. those are really strong signs to me. Uh, but I think we can do more at in terms of education. Mm-hmm. Well, we've only got a minute or so left now, Gideon. If you could pick one piece of advice that you had a statewide audience, which you do, to right. to, to help somebody on that edge to say, I think I'm willing to put it all on the line. What would the what would your message be? Well. If you believe in something, focus on it and make it happen. This is the thing. And surround yourself with the great people. Peter? Quit your day job. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've heard that before. (laughs) Okay, you're up. All right. All right. Gideon Marks is the entrepreneur in residence at Blue Startups. And Peter Rowan is angel in residence at Sultan Ventures. And we want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank Thank you very very much. much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about a state STEM program with a regional focus. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Beat Connection and a song called So Good. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.